David Elliott has a broad spectrum education which enables him to present a unique approach to the world of healthy living. His Master's of Herbology from Emerson College in Montreal is flanked by studies in physics, mathematics, psychology, biomechanics, and ancient languages. The corporate world utilizes his services as a public educator, technical resource, and regulatory liaison. His media tours were motivated by the average citizen's extreme information deprivation, while the governments, manufacturers, and producers are fully aware of the incredible impact on the health of the society and the state of the ecology. Recognizing the lack of excellence being offered by the alternative health field, Mr. Elliott realized that he could best serve as a developer of new concept products. These include more than 200 unique and revolutionary formulations, which he has developed over the last 20 years. Their effectiveness is founded on an understanding of nature's electrical construct. In his research, Mr. Elliott had observed principles of interaction in the health process, which had not been previously considered. This has resulted in a quantum leap for potential lifestyle enhancement. In applying these principles to the athletic world, national champions, world record holders, as well as weekend warriors, have dramatically improved their performance, professional and amateur alike. No matter what your background and experience, you will benefit greatly from an understanding of the principles you're about to hear. Here is Mr. David Elliott being interviewed by Maria Zacharias, former documentary producer, TV news reporter, and on-air talent, with stations in New York, Miami, Spokane, and the ABC network. Welcome, Mr. Elliott. Since you're going to speak to health issues, I think it appropriate that you first give us some idea of the problems we're facing, indeed establish that we should be at all concerned. Are we not living longer and better than we ever have? There are several ways to answer that question. First, by having you and everyone answer for himself. This is going to be much easier for those over 40. If you were in public school in the 1950s or earlier, you possibly didn't know someone who was incapacitated from back problems. Today, odds are you and two-thirds of the people you know have experienced some type of performance interference from back trouble. How many people in the 1950s heard of multiple sclerosis, attention deficit syndrome, fibromyalgia, polymyelitis, cystic fibrosis, candida albicans, Alzheimer's, myasthenia gravis, PMS, AIDS, multiple chemical sensitivity, herpes, autism, congenital adrenal hyperplasia. These are just a portion of the expressions of the degenerative state of the individual and the population. Do not think of these conditions as new diseases rather expressions of a deteriorated organism going into an even more deteriorated state. Another answer to your question is to compare the incidence of degenerative conditions at the turn of the century with that of today. One million North Americans die from heart disease each year. At the turn of the century, the disease was very rare. Hyperactivity wasn't even known then. As a matter of fact, it was not known as recent as the 1950s. Today, millions suffer from it. In a 1988 to 1991 study, 61 million Americans were shown to be more than 20% overweight. In comparable periods, 1960 to 1962, compared to 1988 to 1991, there was an increase of 36% in obesity. And the definition of this obesity was more than 20% overweight. Today, 61 million Americans are more than 20% overweight. Consider this. 
Today, 1,115 Americans will die from cancer. And tomorrow, and the next day, and every day this year. That is over 400,000 deaths this year. It took just 22 years, from 1960 to 1982, to double the death rate from cancer. More than one in five American couples are so non-functional biologically that they cannot even reproduce. The sperm count of the American male has dropped 42% since 1920. If a drop of one quarter that amount occurred in wildlife, we would expect the species to go extinct. If an individual, after experiencing the deterioration in himself and observing it in those around him, and being apprised of the data, continues to believe that he is in rosy condition with no concerns for the future, he is akin to the armadillo in the middle of the highway, ignoring the 18-wheeler bearing down on him. If someone is telling you that people are living better than ever, you must seriously question their motivation for taking such a position in the face of the facts. I'm aware of most of what you've just mentioned, and I'm sure that many people who read their newspapers or watch the evening news have been exposed to much of this information. Why is it that so little seems to be done about this ever-deepening health crisis? One of the foundational problems is understanding. I am not referring to the non-appreciation of the magnitude of the problem, although that is a major hindrance. I refer to the ignorance of the nature of the problem and what is causing it. In some aspects, I will concede that there is some knowledge of causality, but the information is covered up and sometimes there is direct disinformation being disseminated. In the days of slightly more honest expressions, the act of spreading disinformation was called lying. What I mean about the ignorance of the nature of the problem starts with the assumption that all of the degenerative conditions that we have mentioned, as well as those not mentioned, are individual, unique, and having a history separate from each other. This is a fatal error. If you don't understand the problem, you can't solve it. If you don't understand that these conditions or diseases are merely different expressions of the same cause or problem, you will be attempting to stop a phantom, an hallucination, a fantasy, or whatever term you choose to use. If you do not understand the cause of these conditions, you are attempting to stop that which does not exist. Have you ever used the Chinese finger prison? This was a popular item when I was a boy. It's a small cylinder of woven straw. You place the forefinger of the person's left hand in one end and the forefinger of his right hand in the other. As he pulls his fingers apart, the cylinder lengthens and narrows, so it binds his fingers even tighter. No matter how strong he is, he cannot escape by pulling his fingers apart. The only way out is for him to push his fingers together farther into the cylinder. This shortens the cylinder, increasing the diameter so he can easily remove his fingers. The point of this illustration is that if you think you are working to solve the problem, but you don't understand the nature of the problem, you only make things worse. If we have not understood the cause of degenerative diseases, why have we missed it? And what is causing this massive human suffering and loss? There are several reasons for the erroneous conclusions drawn concerning causality. 
One of the primary reasons is the character of the cause. Many factors are working together to produce a singular action. This is called the principle of synergy. You see this principle in operation every day. In football, there are 11 players on the field executing totally different roles to produce a singular effect, the crossing of the goal line with the football. You know the body does not accept isolated nutrients, but demands specific combinations working together before they are recognized as food. If you have ever baked a cake, you used many ingredients which work together to produce a singular end. Or in water, for example. If you ingest benzpyrene alone, it does not cause a problem. But if there's detergent with the benzpyrene, it produces cancer. Now just apply this principle on a much larger scale and you begin to see the picture. Would you give us an idea of some of these factors that work together to produce all these conditions we have been talking about? There are environmental factors, such as insecticides, herbicides, fungicides, automotive exhaust, industrial pollution, heavy metals, including mercury, lead, copper, cadmium, and aluminum. There are food additives, including dyes, preservatives, flowing agents, drying agents, extenders, binders, and fillers. There are volatile organic compounds, including polishes, glues, paint, hairspray, perfumes, petroleum products, fabric softeners, stain removers. There are over 5,000 different contaminants in the drinking water supply. Calling a drinking water may be stretching the facts. Waterborne toxins include chlorine, chloroform, and many of the items mentioned already. Just last month, it was released that 80% of Americans have cancer-causing levels of arsenic, trihalomethanes, and radon in their water. The National Cancer Institute and the World Health Organization have admitted that between 60 and 80% of all cancer is caused by chemicals in the air we breathe, the food we eat, and the water we drink. Now add to this artificial lighting, extreme diets, nutrient deficiency, improper exercise, synthetic fabrics, radiation from computer terminals, x-rays, and a variety of other medical radiation producers, and electromagnetic fields. You have shown us many factors causing the problem, and you have stated that a dizzying list of conditions is caused by the problem. But have you not just told us that the principle of synergy is many factors working together to produce a single result? That is true, and that is the point. On one hand, there are thousands of factors causing a singular problem. On the other, there are all the expressions of degeneration we have seen to date and more on the way. People are going crazy trying to unravel a maze that has infinite combinations, assuming that the group on one side causes the group on the other. In all of these mental gymnastics, they have forgotten the body and how it works, the factor we supposedly are concerned with. All the diseases we named are expressions of body condition. All the detrimental factors mentioned are exerting influence on the body. It works this way. The body is designed to specific structural and function parameters. It is intended to operate within those specifications. 
When structure and function fall within design specifications, we say the body is in homeostasis. The Oxford Dictionary defines homeostasis as the tendency towards a relatively stable equilibrium between interdependent elements, especially in physiology. What this means is that the living organism is not static. It is always moving and all of its functions are in action, always in flux. All of these fluctuations have design limits or tolerances. If your body operates within these tolerances, you are in homeostasis. The only accurate assessment of health. Actually, the only definition of health. If anything causes any aspect of your system to move outside these tolerances, you are not in homeostasis. Being out of homeostasis is the true definition of disease. Now when your system is pushed out of its intended function tolerances, a million different things can happen. If you drop a hat out of an airplane, where will it land? If you dropped a thousand hats at the same time, would they all land in the same place? If you push your body out of homeostasis through the influence of a particular group of negative synergetic factors, why would you expect that it would produce only one predictable symptom? You don't expect the hat to drop in only one possible place, yet the factors involved in the disruption of homeostasis are far more complex than those that determine where the hat will land. So on this side, you have all the causes that produce one thing, the disruption of homeostasis. On the other side, you have all these conditions caused by one thing, the disruption of homeostasis. We can conclude, therefore, that there is one disease, the disruption of homeostasis, and it expresses itself in many forms, symptoms. What we have been calling diseases are in fact symptoms. Symptoms are sources of information. The first thing that all symptoms tell us is that we are out of homeostasis. When we experience a symptom, we know that a group of influencing factors has pushed us out of homeostasis. We know that the body processes which are out of tolerance are producing these symptoms. What now is our objective? Do we strive to mask the symptom? This is tantamount to covering information. If we cover, mask, or hide the symptom, have we resolved the issue? No. The problem is that we are not in homeostasis. Hiding the symptom does not move us one iota back towards health. The only way you can be healthy, the only way you can regain your health, is to reinstate homeostasis. Homeostasis is health. Without being in homeostasis, there is no health. You can take shots, radiation, torture yourself, eat strange food, and sing silly songs. It doesn't matter what you do. If you do not reestablish homeostasis, you are not well. Millions of people go through amazing torment, lose all their money, and maybe suppress an extremely aggravating symptom, only to find a short while later that they haven't been moving towards a healthy state, but away from it. All their effort merely accomplished the appearance of moving toward health. There is one disease. There is one way to eliminate disease. Reestablish homeostasis. Name any condition you can think of. Asthma, cancer, diabetes, scarlet fever, herpes. 
The only way you can truly remove them from your experience is through reestablishing homeostasis. Are you saying that all so-called medical knowledge accumulated over the decades is wrong? No. On the factual side, I wouldn't fault the data to a great degree. Mind you, I don't concur with all the supposed medical facts. The problem arises with the understanding of the processes. If I may quote Sherlock Holmes from The Scarlet Claw, facts are always convincing. It is conclusions drawn from facts that are frequently in error. Do not make the mistake of assuming that someone with many facts has an accurate understanding of the issue. So we're doing fairly well on the factual side, but where did we get off track in understanding bioprocesses? We took a left turn a few centuries ago. In Greece, a fellow was contemplating how it was possible that the universe and all its diversity could have been created if everything were constructed differently from everything else. He came up with the idea that everything was made up of tiny building blocks that varied only in size and movement, the atom. Ever since, Western man has been searching for the unit building block out of which everything is constructed. He discovered the molecule, then found it was comprised of atoms. He then discovered that the atom was made of other components, protons, neutrons, electrons. Next, he found that a proton wasn't solid, but really a grouping of quarks, and so on. Do you see a pattern developing here? No matter to which scale you go, you will find no piece of this mythical solid matter. Let's get an idea of proportion. Consider the atom, compared to the solar system. The Earth is 93 million miles from the Sun. That's fairly spacious. The Sun has a diameter of 875,000 miles. If we make the nucleus of an atom the same size as the Sun, the electrons of that atom would be farther away from its nucleus than the Earth is from the Sun. But not just farther away, 47 times farther away. Given that there is no basic solid piece of universal construction, what are you and I and this chair made out of? And how does that relate to our purpose for being here, finding the road to health? Remember, I said there was a pattern developing. You learned in school that hydrogen had a single positive charge, and oxygen had a double negative charge. And these electrical charges were what held water together. You were told that the negative charge of the electron acting with the positive charge of the proton held the atom together. As a matter of fact, everything you were taught about what held the universal construct together was electrical charges. Now half of that is right. You were taught that these charges held pieces together, but there are no pieces. H2O is not two atoms of hydrogen added to an atom of oxygen. H2O is a unique construct, bearing no resemblance whatsoever to hydrogen or oxygen. Hydrogen is a highly explosive gas. Oxygen is the acting agent of fire. Water has no relationship to these two. The reason for this is that the electric charges we have been discussing aren't some kind of cosmic glue holding everything together. There is nothing to hold together. In other words, nobody has ever found, nor will anyone ever find, the elusive basic particle because the universal construct is electric charges. 
No matter how far man travels into the miniature structure of the universe, he finds not his long sought after particulate, but layer upon layer of electric construct. The molecule is a matrix of electric charges because the atom is a matrix of electric charges, because the proton is a matrix of electric charges ad infinitum. So just as hydrogen is a unique electric matrix having characteristics which it alone exhibits, so oxygen is a unique electric matrix having characteristics which it alone exhibits. Water, H2O, is a unique electric matrix having characteristics which it alone exhibits. The hydrogen molecule is made of the same protons and electrons as the oxygen molecule. The reason they are completely different in nature is that their electrical configuration is different. Now you wouldn't say that because hydrogen and oxygen are made of the same protons and electrons that they are in any way similar. Well, water differs from hydrogen and oxygen the same way hydrogen differs from oxygen. The universe produces its infinite variety of expression through the variables in these electric configurations. You ask what this has to do with health. Once you understand that the universal construct is electric, you understand that your electric integrity is your health. Since all nature is electric, all interactions are electric. Nutrition can be understood only as a progression of electrical interactions. Once you map the electric pathways of nutrition, you learn what constitutes a nutrient and what is a poison. That point intrigues me. Would you please give an example of what you mean by what we think is a nutrient actually being a poison? Everywhere you turn these days, someone is shoving calcium at you. I saw a commercial the other day in which a short order cook in a greasy spoon was pushing tums on his customers because it contained calcium. Remember hydrogen, oxygen and water have unique characteristics because they are unique electrical constructs or matrices? Calcium carbonate calcium fumarate, calcium gluconate, elemental calcium, calcium orotate, each are unique electric matrices with unique characteristics. Which are the nutrients and which are the poisons? If you don't think calcium can do damage to you, think about this. Gallstones are made of calcium oxalate. Kidney stones, calcium phosphate. Calcium on the joints we call arthritis. In the muscles, polymyelitis. Throughout the whole body, fibromyalgia. Yes, you need calcium in order to live. But which electric matrix interacts with your body as a nutrient and which interacts as a poison? Just because you or a laboratory identifies a particular matrix as a nutrient doesn't mean your body agrees with you. Your body has the final say. So I highly recommend learning the principles of body electricity rather than assuming some test tube jockey understands nutrition. How can a person gain an appreciation for the degree and range of impact this understanding would have in the individual's life? I'm hearing complaints from everyone that their mind function isn't what it used to be. This is a devastating situation because we experience life through our brain. Take just the factor of environmental toxins listed earlier. You know from your own experience how you have more difficulty thinking when exposed to certain substances. Thinking is an electrical process. 
Therefore, the interference is electrical. If you know the processes involved, you can apply preventative and remedial strategies to reestablish and maintain electric homeostasis. I think by now you understand that by definition, homeostasis means electric homeostasis. I just mentioned some of the conditions caused by toxic calcium. I am sure anyone would find knowing how to prevent or relieve such conditions as having a great impact on a person's life. You will learn how electric anomalies cause the joy to go out of life. They can make the experience of just existing a weight and a bore. From athletic performance to the most devastating degenerative conditions, from cellulite and obesity to headaches and constipation, there is one solution. Reinstate homeostasis. There is one disease, a disruption in homeostasis. There are many factors working to disrupt homeostasis. There are many expressions of a disruption in homeostasis. The universe is electric and therefore can be understood only in appreciation of this fact. All interactions within the universe are electrical and follow electric laws and pathways. This is what we have covered so far. Remember, if you don't understand the problem, you can't solve it. If your lifestyle strategy isn't founded on this understanding, what success can you anticipate in real terms regarding preventative and remedial efficacy? Are you masking symptoms or reestablishing proper function? This is where Avena products come in. One of the greatest inhibitions to reestablishing homeostasis is the interference from accumulated toxins in the body. The amount of toxic buildup in Americans and Canadians is massive. I wish I had enough time in this presentation to itemize each source and describe its activity and effect. For now, I'll have to leave it to those of you who have experienced the expelling of large amounts of toxins to relate to the others the experience during the process and the benefits derived after. Can you appreciate the fact that if you choose to detoxify the body progressively, alimentary canal, to soft tissue, to each organ, to the bones, you must understand the process. If you don't understand the problem, you can't solve it. If you don't understand the dynamics of the body's detoxifying systems, you will not be able to remove toxins from the body and reinstate your own toxin removal processes. Do not rush the detoxifying process. It takes energy to heal. Every Canadian and American has enough poison in himself to keep him busy for years. Be wary of any approach which claims to detoxify in a weekend or a week or a month. You don't even scratch the surface in that time. The Avena Herb Cocktail is formulated on the principles we have studied today. Before you use a product, it might be prudent to find out the basis on which it was designed so you may determine for yourself whether it supplies tools the body uses for its benefit or whether the product imposes an influence on the body, moving it farther from homeostasis. Only the intelligence designed into your body knows how to establish homeostasis. No product can do it for you. What you need to do is supply the appropriate tools so that the body can do the work. After all, did we not get into this predicament by giving the body what it didn't need and not giving the body what it did need. So we should give the body what it needs and get out of the way.